Here's the pitch. Oliver wants to throw. He's got Lance Carl open. Caught. 15, 10, 5, touchdown. The Buffaloes at four on a 53-yard pass from O.C. Oliver to Lance Carl. Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster Tiger here with Tyler Ziskin, Buff Stampede fan correspondent. Tyler, we've been meaning to do a podcast for a while now. We couldn't get our schedules to sync up, but finally we get to talk a little CU football recruiting and men's basketball today. How are you doing? Doing good. It does seem like we haven't done this in forever, um, which is kind of crazy. I mean, this is kind of the busier part of the year, but that's what makes it so tough, you know, is between basketball for me and, you know, signing day coming up here in a couple weeks for you it's tough to figure out when yeah. the best time to meet is well we're going to cram a ton of information into this show yeah. and i said if if colorado beats washington we'll talk hoops first but of course they suffer a defeat in seattle on wednesday night we're recording this on thursday afternoon yeah less than two weeks until signing day so let's start out here talking about some cu football recruiting and we haven't had a chance to talk about darren shiverini's return to boulder really infectious energy that he's had. It's hard to imagine an individual coming into a program and having more of an impact on the recruiting trail in three weeks than Darren Chivarini has. Yeah, I mean, I think it's funny because his impact on Twitter is what really makes, I think, the fans so confident that he's working hard. It's funny how that works out in 2016, you know, because like he... I guess arguably he could just be putting up Twitter images and not going anywhere, you know, right? You just don't really know. But I think people just love the fact that he can connect with people of this era. Like, you know, all the commits these days, all the recruits these days are on Twitter. That's the kind of stuff that they do on a daily basis. That's what they want to see. And he's putting stuff up every day reminding them about Colorado. And I think that's important for kids you know, today and also for the fan base too, because it keeps them engaged with what's going on in recruiting. I think part of the frustration behind not too many commitments in the last month or two at Colorado is they don't know exactly what's going on because a lot of things are behind the scenes, you know? So I think it's pretty refreshing for Cheverini to come out and be so impactful in a way that uh, includes the fans. And Cheverini, his tweeting has been kind of, uh, other coaches have now stepped up their yeah. tweet game since then. I mean, Clayton Adams and, and Jim Levitt were already tweeting on a pretty regular basis, but now you're seeing Charles Clark more active on mm-hmm. there, Brian Lindgren. Darren Chiverini was a really good recruiter at Texas Tech, and I think you know, being a, a good salesman anywhere is going to breed good results. The fact that he has the passion behind it, though, mm-hmm. now, coming back to his alma mater, I had a chance to talk to him uh, for about 15 minutes the other day, and uh, behind the curtain here, I... Uh, my recorder stopped recording after a couple minutes, so I had this great interview, 
and only had a few minutes of it, unfortunately. But it just you could just hear it in his voice how excited and how much pride he has. It's you know Jim Levitt can can have all the energy on on the road, but he doesn't he can't tell kids. I played there. This is what Colorado did for me in my life. Yeah, I think that's a huge piece and something that was kind of missing from the staff previously. We didn't have that Colorado connection the way that um, I think is really important to the fan base. And it's you just, just a personal touch. I think you got it totally right with Jim Levitt. He's a very passionate guy, but at the end of the day, he's been in Colorado for a year. You know, Darren, she- Darren Cheverini, this has been his life since he was a, basically a high school senior when he committed. Um, and you know, he just has all, all the stories you can tell about Boulder. He can talk to these kids about what life is like to be a football player in Boulder. Um, and, and just the passion for him being back, I think is super important for the program. One of the coolest thing, things is that he was the first ever Buffalo Heart Award winner 18 years ago. So that's kind of a, a cool note on him. He's not even in Boulder with his family and he's already helped orchestrate a former four-star quarterback, Sharon Jones and transferring from Tennessee to Colorado. So he was paying dividends on the recruiting trail before he even got here. Obviously, Sharon Jones can't play this season, but you talk about him in the future, especially when you, you talk to people at Knoxville and they say, this is a guy that could have been a backup quarterback for Tennessee this year. This is a guy that had a chance to be a starter down the road. So it's not like the Connor Woods situation where he at Texas, he was buried on the depth chart. He was never going to play there. Sharon Jones was a guy that had a future at Tennessee if he decided to stay there. Yeah, I mean, from everything that we've heard from people in Tennessee, uh, the coaches and people who watch the practices, that kind of stuff, people who cover the team, he improved quite a bit, especially in the bowl practices. People were kind of mm-hmm. highlighting him as a guy who really improved throughout the year, uh, which is great. I mean, anytime you can get a guy that an SEC program seems to think has a chance to start for a program for their team in the future, I mean, that's huge for us. You know, I'll hold or reserve judgment a little bit on what exactly he can do for us right away until we see him in practice. That usually gives us a pretty good idea. But worst case scenario is it brings us more competition at the quarterback position. And obviously, I think that it's the most important position in college football. You know, you can become a pretty good team pretty quickly if you have an elite quarterback. So just having more guys with talent at the position and, you know, the, the cream will rise to the crop, I think, is important. And Davis Webb, of course, visited Colorado last week and former Texas Tech quarterback. He's going to visit Auburn next month before. It sounds like maybe early March is when he's going to make a decision. You get him in here, all of a sudden you're, you're not quite as worried about the quarterback situation. I think with Sharon Jones coming in for, for being eligible in 2017, knowing Steven Montez and kind of the, uh, the potential there, you feel good about the long-term quarterback situation. But you still got to be a little nervous about next year quarterback with Sefo's injury. Davis Webb would make you feel uh, sleep better at night if you're, if you're Brian Lindgren and Darren Chivarini. Yeah, I mean, he comes from a gunslinger program, which is awesome. Obviously, he's familiar with Chivarini a little bit as well. Um, I mean, that seems like they always find system guys down there at Texas Tech, but they're all super accurate, which is also important for our system here. Um, so and you're going to try to implement some of the system that they yeah, oh yeah, at Texas Tech. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a, it, it could definitely be effective in the Pac-12, which I think is important too. Uh, he's a guy that I think fits what we're trying to do here. Uh, he's a short, you know, he's a stopgap. Um, just gives you a little bit of flexibility in case Cepho doesn't come back as healthy as you think. Um, and, and if Montez isn't quite ready, I mean, I think we're all really excited about his potential, but playing a freshman at quarterback isn't exactly the greatest way to get to be bowl eligible for the first time in a decade. The one knock on Davis Webb is that in his sophomore year, he turned the ball over more than they wanted. But you still look at his passing efficiency in the three years that he saw game action there at Texas Tech, and it's a better passing efficiency rating than any quarterback at CU has had in a single season since Joel Klatt's sophomore season. So certainly would be a guy that, that would be big to bring in and uh, 
would be eligible to play right away. Of course, Darren Chivarini also convinces Jordan Brooks, a highly regarded linebacker recruit that had been verbally committed to Texas Tech, to come out to Boulder last week. I think it was maybe just a little bit too late to get in the game there. I think uh, I haven't had a chance to talk to Jordan Brooks. He wasn't really open to doing an interview, but from everything I can kind of gather, I think he's going to stick with Texas Tech. But you see Maryland transfer Jawan Winfrey. He's a receiver prospect now at Coffeyville Community College. He's coming out to Boulder this Friday. Uh, he's already verbally committed to Pittsburgh, but uh, obviously if he's coming out to see you, he's going to give them a look. He was a four-star recruit coming out of high school in New Jersey. He's gained about 25 pounds of good weight since then, and he's now a 6'2", 210-pound guy, another big target they're looking at there at receiver, ranked as the nation's 26th best junior college recruit this cycle. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's uh, watching his film really quickly, it looks like he has pretty good footwork. Um, he separates from cornerbacks quickly, which is what you like to see. I mean, his film, a lot of a lot of missed tackles in it, for sure. Um, but, I mean, he's definitely a guy that can help us right away. Um, highly talented kid out of high school, still the same thing out of Coffeyville, which is a big-time JUCO program as well. Um, so, to me, I mean, he's a guy who can certainly help you. And just from a, you know, from a perspective standpoint, having another four-star on the commit list uh, avoids something that we'll talk about later in that article that I posted on the board this week about being unable to land four-star guys. So I think from that point, it's important, too, just for a perspective standpoint. One thing I think we can say with them going after signing KB and Ento, going after a Jawan Winfrey, going after a, a, you know other junior college receivers, they're not happy with their receiver situation after last season, and that's understandable. Yeah, I mean, I think with Nelson Spruce gone, there has to be some concern about who's going to step up in those ranks because I think a lot of people disappointed there last year. You know, we've got a few guys who struggle to catch the ball, have a few guys that don't run the greatest routes, um, and a few guys who just really aren't very big overall. So, I mean, there's a lot of flaws in um, a lot of the wide receivers that we have right now. So, I mean, any kind of the same thing. If you can bring more talent into the fold and see, you know, see who comes out on top, I think that's important for us. And we're, we're not in a position to be, you know, say, oh, this is a strong position. We, we don't need a good recruit. That's not where we are as a program. We need to bring in the best talent possible regardless of where it comes from. Still kind of on the subject of Darren Shiverini and, and the impact he's had taking over as the recruiting coordinator, co-offense coordinator, and receivers coach at CU. Another guy, Keanu Celia Pega, former USC pledge. He's going to be visiting Boulder this weekend. Uh, Shiverini, very good friends with Mike Machete, the head coach out there at La Mirada. And uh, he's He's got a ton of schools, Ole Miss, Arizona, Arizona State, Memphis, South Carolina, BYU, Oregon, Pittsburgh, all trying to get him to visit that final weekend in January. I had a chance to catch up with Mike Machete, and he said it's going to come down to Colorado and which one of those other schools that he goes to visit the final weekend in January. This is a, a high three-star defensive end prospect, 6'6", 265. We were talking before the show, if he comes to Colorado, see him fitting into that three-technique position, uh, kind of a you know Jordan Carroll type of role if, if he were to come here and he would become one of the top commits on their board if he, if he chose CU. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's a little scary because those are some big names. Uh, I, I will say, though, that it's probably a good thing that for sure he's coming here. Uh, that kind of puts us in a, a leg up on the other schools. I mean, it's it'd be a little scary if it ends up being Ole Miss or Oregon, something like that. I mean, that those are opportunities that are tough to pass up. I mean, Ole Miss is going to have two of the top five draft picks in the NFL this year. So they're, they're a hot program right now, too. Um, to me, it was funny. One of my buddies texted me who follows recruiting as well, and he was just like, this is the first guy I can remember coming on the lines that is not a boy. Like, he's, yeah. a, he's a man already. I mean, 6'6", 265 in high school is a big, big boy. Like, that's a, that's a large human 
there are a lot of things you can do with a player like that who's only 17 already. And Colorado just offered three La Mirada 2017 recruits this last week, so that would be a pretty good pipeline. It's every year that school seems to produce a couple guys, uh, and and they shoot they. They lose Tony Brown last recruiting cycle because Darren Chivarini right. does a great sales job and convinces him to sign with Texas Tech. So that's a school you definitely want to get into, especially with Chivarini's relationship with, there with uh, Mike Machete. Mm-hmm. Tyler, you wrote a, a big picture uh, article on recruiting about a week ago, and it got pretty good response on the on the message board. What kind of message were you trying to get across with that? It was kind of an opinion piece, but you threw in some some numbers there. Yeah, as well. I mean, I think kind of the big message is that you know most of my previous articles are like just be patient, just be patient. I think the message this time is that it's time now. Yeah, you know, with the facilities being done, with the staff we have here, I think most people would agree this is the best recruiting staff we've had in a while with Cheverini and Levitt being here for you know, being here together. Um, I think that's important. It's got the potential, to be. right? Exactly, right. We think the pieces are finally coming into place where people can recruit for us. Joe Tumpkin obviously seems like a little bit under the radar, but he's a guy that does a good job as well. Um, I, I think the excuses are no longer there. Um, you know, we, we're not bad enough now that we have to clean the cupboard. I think there's talent in place that this is now a decent football team that has the potential to make a bowl game at some point down the line. It's not like the team that we had in 2012 that didn't have a prayer of winning football games unless somebody else get, went crazy and did something stupid, you know. So to me, it's the, the patience thing. I've been patient throughout the process, and now, now I think it's go time, I guess I'll say. It's go time. We we don't have the excuses anymore. We can't land all these kids that are mountain mountain west level kids. We got to get more top end talent because we need to you know improve the depth chart to a point where we're getting kids that we think can play right away and help us down the line, not just continue to have average players. I agree with everything you say there. Now it is there is some gray area in there. Uh, Obviously, the classes that Colorado has been pulling in here recently clearly they're not competing for a Pac-12 South title anymore anytime soon. You also did a big picture article, though, on them fixing the attrition issue, which Mm -hmm. really from, I would say, Dan Hawkins' third year all the way through until Mike McIntyre arriving had been one of the biggest issues keeping this program from having success. And so let's say you're bringing in a class, half of it looks like a Pac-12 class, half of it looks like a Mountain West class. How much can you kind of offset the negativity surrounding having half of a Mountain West class by fixing that attrition issue and well, keeping those guys on campus? Yeah, I mean, the best way, obviously, to have average kids turn into studs is have them stay throughout the process. I mean, just from a numbers game perspective, some of those guys are going to pan out. I mean, you see in the NFL draft every single year, there are low-rated kids that go high. Um, the more of those that you can keep on campus, the better chance you have of, obviously, a few of them turning into something. The problem is if you're getting... Like the 2012 class, for example, was a great talent class. But in the article that you're referencing, I talked about how being talented doesn't do anything for a football program if you aren't playing football there. So, I mean, almost, yeah, yeah I mean, out of the 29 kids who committed, we're only going to have like 13 finish their career at Colorado. That's not going to get it done. I mean, that's 16 guys who they could be five stars, they could be two stars. It doesn't matter because they don't play football here anymore. So, to me, being able to retain those guys and have a bunch of seniors on your team rather than so you don't get stuck with eight, I think we had this year, right? Or eight that played maybe is what it ended up being. Um, those those type of classes you can't have. You can't have – you're not going to be successful with eight seniors to me. So I, um, keeping kids is obviously an important piece as well, but you also want to improve the overall talent level 
at while you're doing that. I think the key is to just get a little bit more improvement out of each class. And I think this year is the first year where I'm starting to get worried. I'm not 100% sure that's going to happen. I'm trying to remember the numbers in your article from kind of that, that time range that I was talking about from late under Dan Hawkins until Mike McIntyre arrived. Was it something around 50% retention, something crazy like that? Yeah, here, I'll, I can look it up really quick, the exact numbers. It was yeah, pretty alarming, though. There, there are a few that it's like well under 50%. So... Um, yeah, I and mean, that's obviously not what you want. You don't want one out of every two kids that you sign to go elsewhere. Um, it, it's important. And McIntyre's done a good job with that. He, I think we've only had three guys, three or four guys leave, um, including Watanabe, who we just found out about um, in the last um, four years, I guess, since he's been here. So, I mean, it depends on which class you want me to look at. Starting, let's see. So 2010, because that's yeah, that's kind where, of the year. Yeah, that's where we had the first um, the first class that we've seen people still playing on this class. So we had 45.83 percent graduated 2010. 2011, it was 52.17, um, and to the 2012 class, there's already there only so far only four people have finished the finished, um, and there's a potential for a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight nine ten more so at best half the class will graduate and that's okay. including guys like yuri wright Dijon wilson um josh tupo we don't know about him clay norgard uh samson kafabalu who's had some issues tyler hennington those are all in that class as well so i think the chance of all those people coming through are not very high right now based on what we've heard um so to me it's going to be another class that's below that 50 percent threshold which is not the direction you want to see in those years, I mean, they were ranking, what, between 9th and 11th in terms of recruiting rankings in the Pac-12? Mm -hmm. So you, you would, it sounds crazy to say, so you would prefer to finish dead last in the conference in recruiting rankings as long as you keep every single one of those kids in yeah. there. Oh, yeah. But, like, to your point, you can't accept that anymore. You've got a staff that right. can rec recruit better than that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree with that 100%. I mean, it, it is tough, though, when you're, when you're recruiting guys that aren't at the same level as the rest of the Pac-12, and you're also trying to catch up because half the guys that you are signing are leaving. That is why that they makes, were the worst power yeah. conference program in the country. Exactly. That makes it an almost an impossible situation. So McIntyre's done a good job of at least fixing half of that problem. I mean, I, I, I followed through. So 2013, three guys have left the team from that class out of 22. So that's well more than half. I mean, obviously they have time to go. We might lose a few more of those over the years. But compared to um, 12 that have left from 2012, I mean, the, the chances of it going from 3 to 12 are pretty minimal in the next two years. Yeah, so. sure. Although I, I guess you could say Kansas has been the worst power conference program. You could, yeah, I mean, as a CU fan, whatever. you can always you can always look over first, to Lawrence, yeah, right? First, over, first or second, <laughs> it's not, not the best. <laughs> So uh, let's talk about some of these other remaining targets. Again, we're recording this on Thursday, January 21st. And, you know, with recruiting news, shoot, by the time we're done with this podcast, there could be a couple things that change here. But mm -hmm. as things look right now, some of the guys that are still on the Buffalo's board, and, and they don't have a lot of room left. Obviously, we've, if you've been on the message boards, you, you've seen a lot of talk about that and how they're going to find spots for some of these guys if they do indeed all want to come to Boulder. One of the guys, uh, Drew Lewis, uh, he's a former Washington Husky, ended up at Coffeyville Community College last summer, uh, was dismissed from Washington. He's a 6'2", 225-pound guy that transitioned from safety to linebacker the last couple years, and he was hurt early on this past season, but in the last five games uh, in Co Coffeyville Community College's last five games averaged more than 12 tackles. There was a 22-tackle, three-sack performance in there, so showed some of his potential late this last season. He was out at 
Utah State last weekend scheduled to be at Colorado this weekend, and then he's got a Memphis trip lined up. This is a guy that would project as uh, kind of a rush end type. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an important piece for us. We definitely need linebackers, so they're, you know we definitely need those guys. So, um, and to me, he was a three-star coming out of high school, too, committed to a Pac-12 program. So you know that you're getting a guy that Pac-12 teams liked coming out of high yeah. school, um, and he's only developed since then, obviously, with the injury. Um, probably missed, a lot of people miss out on him because he missed half the season. But to me, I mean, Memphis was a top 25 program most of last year. So it's, you know, it's not the offers maybe you necessarily want. But those are programs that are on the rise. Utah State, also pretty solid program more often than not. So you want to beat those guys for sure. But it, those are offers, they're better than some of the other ones we've seen out there for sure. So to me, he's a guy that I think can help us. And you maybe worry, okay, he, well, he got dismissed from Washington. What's going on there? From what I can gather, this is not a bad kid. This is he just made a mistake and he's moved on. And so I don't think this is going to be, you know, a, a guy you worry about coming in the locker room and being being a poison there. Uh, Lorenzo Burns. Uh, this is a guy that I've really enjoyed his film uh, watching it last year and this year. He's going to decide between Arizona, Colorado, and Cal. He was out in, in Boulder last week, and I get the sense that. Probably Arizona's the front runner there, um, but I mean, certainly Colorado fans would be pretty pretty excited if you were to commit to see you. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy I really like on film. He'd be one of my top prospects if I thought we had a more solid chance to get him. It, he doesn't seem like, from what we've seen, that he's got huge interest in Colorado right now. I mean, obviously, being in the top three is good, but um, we're gonna have to finish strong with him. We, we, we have just haven't heard enough from him about uh, in-home visits, that kind of stuff. That it really seems like he's really looking to us the most right now. Three teammates from John Errett High School, where uh, Cordell Stewart went to high school back in the day. Karan Baham, he's a three-star athlete, would would project as as a cornerback. Uh, visited Colorado last weekend with Jarius Wallace, a safety recruit, and then Dejon Harris, a linebacker recruit. Dejon Harris, I think, is going to stick with his initial pledge to Arkansas, and he's got he's hosting the in-home visit with Nick Saban. So yeah, I think, I think, I think one way or the other, it's probably not going to be Colorado on that one. But uh, Karan Baham and Jarius Wallace, these are best friends. Uh, they've talked a lot about maybe wanting to go to the same college. Now, Wallace is going out to Arizona this weekend, so he's going to pick between the Wildcats and the Buffs. I expect, actually, I, I would be surprised with, with Karan Baham if he's not a Buff because he's going out to Tulane. Colorado obviously provides an opportunity for him to play a power conference football. He'd play cornerback. Chance for these guys Best friends growing up to play in the same defensive backfield if they come to see you. Yeah, I mean, he's a 5.6 RR, and he didn't even play the season. So I think most of the time they stay pretty they, – they, you know, they, they want to make sure that they don't get those guys wrong that are out for the year. So to me, I think healthy, he could probably even be a higher-rated prospect with more offers. So obviously there's a little bit of a – you know, you don't know exactly what you're getting with a guy coming off injury. But um, I, th I think he has a pretty good chance to be a big impact guy for us. And Jarius Wallace is fun on film. Yeah, he does not look like a two-star recruit <laughs> yeah, on film. so, I mean, he's, he's a, you know, any of those Louisiana boys, you want to get into the program. I mean, Southern football players are always studs. And, I mean, Jarius Wallace is a guy that everybody's going to be super high on, whether he's a two-star or not. So I think you could kind of cheat the system a little bit there and say no one's going to be freaking out about a two-star coming to Colorado if it's Jarius Wallace because everybody seems to be pretty high on him from what we've seen on the boards. Those New Orleans kids seem to have, like, a, a different type of explosiveness. It's not like the... Four three four four forty guys. It's like football speed type of guys, mm -hmm. and uh, so I think both those guys kind of fit in that category. Taylor Hawkins, he's a top one hundred California recruit. He's set to choose between Colorado, Washington State, 
or San Diego State. I think this is, depending how things kind of shake out with Karan Bayham and Jarius Wallace, this might be a guy that kind of took too long with the process. Maybe Colorado might not have a spot for him. Maybe he goes to Washington State instead. It sounds like he had a pretty good trip up to, to Pullman last weekend. Yeah, I mean, we're not really sure exactly what's going on with how they're talking to him right now, but we haven't heard much about it since hearing that we were, he was likely to commit on the visit back in yeah. the day. So, I mean, it, you you wonder what really happened there, I Well, guess. Toby Nidus was his main recruiter throughout the whole process, so mm-hmm. maybe that had something to do with it. And so you have Charles Clark take over, and he could be doing a great job, but he hasn't built up that re- right. report through the whole process. Yeah, so, I, so I, I mean, I guess I, at this point I'd be surprised if he ends up in Colorado. Um, we'll take him. He's a talented kid. I like his film, but um, it just doesn't kind of similar to a few of the other guys. It doesn't seem like he's too high on us right now. There's not a whole lot of chatter with him on Twitter and that kind of stuff about Colorado. He's not currently rated on Rivals, but Tyler, you and I are both high on Ronnie Turner. He's a receiver from Hartnell College in California. Uh, was out in Boulder for a visit last weekend, and uh, he, he's going to go to Cincinnati this weekend and then Mississippi State the final weekend in January. Really good film. Yeah, I love him. He's a high pointer, kind of like Johnny Huntley, uh, but he's very lean. I really like his routes, uh, attacks the ball. Um, and I kind of his speed, I think, is better than he's given credit for as well. I, I really like his film. Um, I don't care what they decide to rate him when he commits somewhere. He's a kid that I want on this team, absolutely. Um, and it's it, based on what he's saying, he says Colorado is his favorite right now. Uh, you know, Mississippi State is an SEC program that I, th- that I think is hard to pass up for some guys. But I think it'll be a little bit of culture shock for him, too, coming from California when he goes out to Starkville. So um, I-, I like our chances there, and uh, he would be a big get for us. I mean, we need that size at the wide receiver position. Yeah, Ronnie Turner did tell me that the Pac-12 is a big draw for him there. So obviously th- that's big for the Buffs to, in, in their efforts to try to lure him into Boulder. Fua Patutau, we saw him at uh, one of CU's camps last summer from Cottonwood Senior, inside linebacker prospect. Going to go on a two-year Mormon mission. Not surprisingly, BYU, Utah, uh, among his other finalists. He's going to visit Colorado the final weekend in January. Uh, it's sometimes good to be that last school that you go check out, especially with, mm-hmm. with Jim Levitt's maybe the last coach yeah. you talk to. Yeah, definitely. I think that puts us um, in the best possible advantage. Um, based on what we've seen, he really likes BYU. Um, he's a Mormon kid, obviously. Um, so I, I think that'll be the biggest test is trying to get him out of the state. Uh, more than anything, we're the only school he's considering right now that's out of Utah because Utah State and Utah, BYU and us are his final four. Um, he's not as big of an importance for me because he is going to be gone for two years and we really need linebackers that are going to help, be able to help us right away. But he's a talented player. Uh, their coach loved Levitt when they came out for the camp this summer. We both saw them. Um, hanging around at the camp. They didn't really work out um, as much as some of the other guys, but we saw enough of them to know that they're talented prospects for sure. Yeah, I would love for Colorado to get more into these guys that are going to take the two-year mission, like a Sam Bennion. He comes back, and not only is after he gets off some of the rust of not being able to work out all the time during that two-year mission – um, he, he's going to be more physically mature. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is going to be a guy that's going to be a 23 year old man out there playing Pac 12 football. And mentally, these kids come back really mature and they, they have a right view on, on, they just have a great work ethic. That yeah. whole two years, you're working on those missions and they come back ready to work. You don't see instant uh, rewards for signing those guys, but. It's a reason programs like BYU and Utah have been mm-hmm. so successful. Yeah, definitely. I mean, once you once you have an established program, I think it's easier to take on those guys because 
you have someone coming in from that perspective the entire process. You know, they have guys coming in after their missions every season. Yeah. I think once we start to become, like, more of a bowl team with traditional talent, we'll try to do that a little bit more because you can take those chances and wait on some of those guys. Well, what's the downside? Because he's not going to count against you until 2018. Well, I mean, a downside... I mean, it takes resources to recruit them, of course. But. Right. I think the downside for McIntyre is, I don't, does he have two years? I guess we'll see. So, I mean, you know, they, they want to, to find a way to get guys that can help them keep their job. So they're going to focus on that. Yeah, right. I get yeah. That. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the only thing for me is once you have the talent that you don't really have to worry about your job, you can take those mission kids because they're going to be beasts by the time they yeah. come back as seniors. You mentioned, uh, I think you mentioned Puki Maka came out with him as well. Cottonwood senior. Uh, he would be a, a, a hybrid rush end guy if he came to Colorado. He's still got to work in the classroom to get qualified, but it sounds like his late, latest ACT score was a, a jump up from his previous one. So I think he's got three more opportunities to retake that test. Here you're, you're not losing anything. You sign him and he qualifies great. You sign him and he doesn't qualify. He goes the JC route and you have mm -hmm. maybe a leg up there. Yeah, I mean, Jim Levitt loves him. I mean, remember seeing that from the camp. He was super high yeah. on – it was kind of funny. He kept talking about his hips, which are things that I think casual football fan doesn't see. But Jim Levitt was in love with this kid. So to me, he's super important for us because Jim Levitt th seems to think that he can do wonders with him. So I'm curious to see what he can do. So to me, he's a very high uh, – you know, we, we, he's high on my list in terms of guys that I want the most. Um here because Jim Levitt's so high on him. I mean, you got to trust him to know with linebackers. Well, yeah, Pookie Maka's coach at Cottonwood Senior had made the comment that Jim Levitt was searching coast to coast for another guy like Pookie Maka mm -hmm. and he couldn't find him. Yeah. Toys Avery, he's a, another prospect, I guess, to keep an eye on here. He was verbally committed to CSU earlier in the process, opened up his recruitment. Uh, 6'2", 200 pounds safety from Coffeyville Community College. Good friends with uh, Juwan Winfrey there. Uh, it sounds like he's going to visit West Virginia and Missouri. Colorado is in the mix. I think if he's going to visit Boulder, it would have to be one of those midweek visits. They're kind of, it looks like Colorado's maybe on the outside looking in there. This is another guy, though, to keep an eye on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, he, he fills a need in the secondary for us. I mean, we need more guys in depth piece. Um, he's a big body. 6'2", 200 is a big boy back in the secondary for sure. Um, he's got one more visit left, so... Um, We'll see if he comes out here. You know, like you said, it'll have to be midweek because it sounds like he's going to West Virginia this weekend, Missouri next weekend. Yeah. So, so I'm going to put you on the spot here, Tyler. <laughs> Give me, let's say, theoretically, CU is going to take three more guys this mm -hmm. recruiting cycle. Of the guys we have talked about on this show, pick three of those guys, and we'll probably keep Fua Patutau off that list just because he would be, uh, you know, a guy that would yeah, really he, count against your numbers. He, yeah, he's not on my list anyway, so that's cool with me. I actually have Ronnie Turner, which I think will probably surprise some people because Juwan Winfrey is the four-star receiver coming in. I really like Ronnie Turner. Really like him. I think he can definitely help us a lot. Um, don't care what he's rated. I want him on the team. Puki Maka is another one. Kind of hinted at that just a second ago. And, and uh, Keanu Saliapega. And it's really just a steal of what my buddy said. He's a man. I mean, that's a big boy we got coming in there. Um, with some talent, and he comes from a big time program with a coach that went that is really close with our coaching staff. That's a that's a La Mirada we haven't gotten a lot of guys out of, despite the connections we have there in the past. And I think it'd be huge for us if we can get somebody to go there, start that pipeline. Before we move on, I should mention Buff Stampede Radio is sponsored by the Blake Street Tavern, located one block north of Coors Field. The Blake Street Tavern has been named the best sports bar in Denver by Westward for five years running. Sixty HD TVs, three bars. Underground social area with lots of games. No better place to catch a game in Denver. 
I can imagine the Blake Street Tavern is going to be nuts this Sunday, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Don't you guys I, host the, the Patriots watch party too? Yeah, we're the biggest Patriots and Broncos bar in Denver, so it's going to be a zoo. Um, this is actually um, the third year in a row we guaranteed ourselves a Super Bowl team between the Patriots and the Broncos. So, nice. um, one, yeah, one way or the other, it's going to be busy for us for three years in a row, which so is, which how, is how are you going to go about separating these fan bases? And, and <laughs> uh, well, if you've ever been there before, we've got separate rooms, right? Yeah. So what's going to happen is the Patriots will be in the tailgate, uh, the room with the big, big projection screen, which is the room they use every Sunday. Uh, the Broncos will be in the social. And then the main, just you know, where the main bar is and everything else, will kind of be the middle ground. So... That'll, that'll be the danger zone, I guess you can say. It'll be whoever fills up in that spot the quickest will get it. But for the people who don't want to deal with Broncos and or Patriots fans, there'll be a designated area for you guys to go hang out with just whoever your fan base is. But I would get there really early because we're expecting a huge day. So the game is at 1. You're, I would be surprised if there are tables available after 11. Okay. And obviously... Blake Street Tavern is a great place to go catch CU games. And you guys pretty much have drink specials pretty much every time the Buffs play, right? Yeah, we do. Uh, we do core specials for CU, which is the only alumni group we do core specials for. So it's a $6, 24-ounce Coors and Coors Light and a $8, 24-ounce Blue Moons. Well, I was trying to think of a creative way for us to talk about Colorado's 14 commitments from the 2016 class. And I'm including Sharon Jones in that. And I, I thought... It would be fun for Tyler and I to draft our teams, kind of a way to show uh, kind of how we, we rank these uh, commitments. And then we'll throw it out to the fans and see which team they like best here. I personally think there's one guy on this list that's going to get a lot of, garner a lot of votes. So I was telling you, Tyler, I think that we should flip a coin, and whoever wins that can either choose to take the first pick, but if they do that, the other person gets the next two picks, and then you go back and forth, or you can defer to the other person. Are you okay with that? Yeah, yeah. Sounds All good right. to me. We're going to flip a coin here. You call it in the air, Tyler. All right. Heads. It is heads. By the way, Adam was successful in actually flipping the coin, (laughs) so we can make him the Super Bowl ref now. All right. Um, Do you want that first pick, or are you going to defer You can have the first pick. I can have the first pick. Yeah. Well, with the first pick of this semi-lame Colorado commitment draft, (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to take Sharon Jones. I think that's going to garner a lot lot of votes. We talked about him. Earlier on the sh- on the show, a guy that uh, was the tenth rated dual threat quarterback coming out of high school, signed with Tennessee, was not happy there while redshirting, so mm-hmm. transfers to Colorado, and I'm glad to put him at the top of my team here. There you go. All right, so for me, I'm going to take Anthony Jewel Missy and Ronnie Blackman. Those are the two that I want. Okay, talk about you know what why why you had those guys. Uh, Jewel Missy, I just think is the in. Well, both of them really are the most versatile guys in the class for me. You can put them all over the place. Um, a lot of a lot of talent on special teams, that kind of stuff as well, and I just love their athleticism. Real shifty guys. I think they're both going to be immediate impact guys in Colorado. Ronnie Blackman, I think, is going to be a starting punt returner and kick returner from day one. Yeah. I went through uh, every commitment's highlight film and even some of their game footage, and I'll, I'll I will say this: I was maybe less bullish on this recruiting class overall after watching all that film. But I was super excited about the skill guys that mm-hmm. were committed to. And Ronnie Blackman was a guy that made a ton of electric plays in high school. And Anthony Julmisi is really fun. he's just <laughs> really fun to watch play. Yeah, I mean, yeah. To me, Ronnie Blackman was did really well in the Blue Gray All Star game as well. I was actually kind of expecting him to get a bump 
Um, because people had a lot of good things to say. I, it's a size I, issue with was, him. Right, yeah. He was a couple always, taller. Yeah, yeah, it's always been that way. But I think he's really talented, and I think he's going to be a great player at Colorado. He's, he was, he's actually the guy that I wanted the most. Okay. Well, I am going to, with my next pick, take Johnny Huntley. High point Huntley, a guy that uh, is a big target receiver, 6'2 and a half, and does a great job of catching the ball at its highest point. And for, for a bigger receiver, he's got, he's got some wheels, too. Yeah, for sure. All right, so the next one for me, I'm going to kind of go the same thing, uh, real versatile guy, um, Trey Udofia. Okay. And, well, see, what we're supposed to do here, Tyler, is we're supposed to uh, draft just one DB, I think, right? Oh, you want a roster? Okay. Yep, okay, yep. well, then I'm going to change my strategy. I'll take Akil Jones. Okay, good pick there as a linebacker. Yeah. What do you like about him? Uh Speed. Um, I, that's, he's a guy that really impressed me on film. I think he's probably our most underrated guy outside of maybe Joe Missy right now on Rivals. Um, I think that he's a perfect fit for what we want to do defensively. Um, another guy from San Jose area that we've done really well with in the past in terms of getting uh, produ- more production than maybe stars uh, like Cheeto and Addison Gillum when healthy. Same basic concept for me. I, I think he has a chance to be pretty good. You watch his high school clips, and he is basically a, a rush end all the time. Mm-hmm. Now, Colorado projects him as an inside linebacker, so might not be a guy that comes in day one and is instant impact guy, but probably has to develop into that role a little bit. I like him a lot. It's just sometimes hard, kind of hard to, because we didn't get a chance to see him at that the satellite camp that he did well at, to kind of project how he would look in that inside linebacker role. Yeah. All right, well, I will probably then take, um, gosh, this uh, see, I don't need to take Trey Udofia anytime soon because you already got your DB. So, yep, just sit on that one. I'm going to go uh, Tariq Roberts for my pick. And uh, we'll list him as, a, as an offensive lineman, uh, but uh, he could potentially be a defensive and kind of a three technique as well in college. We saw him at the camp last summer, and he was very raw, but you could just see a lot of potential in there. Mm-hmm. He could be kind of a boomer bust guy. It's hard to say. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, he's he's got a lot of athleticism for sure. I, I just don't know exactly where he's going to end up. I, I don't know if I'd say he's necessarily a boomer bust guy. I just think he's a guy we're not really sure exactly where he's going to play yet. I think once they decide where where he fits best, he, um, not quite as raw as um, Stefan Nembot, but a guy that you could kind of see improve quite a bit over the upperclassman years of his career because he's finally settled into a position. The one good thing you like with him, too, is his work ethic. This is a kid that gets on a bus almost every day to go work out at 6-0 strength, kind of showing that extra effort. Maybe a gracier candidate? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it, we've seen Especially knowing hints. that he would be working with Matt McChesney. Yeah, you know, we've, that time. we've seen some hints kind of that there, were, there are going to be some gray shirts among this class right now. So I think any pretty much any of the offensive linemen uh, would have to be pretty high on that list in terms of which ones are going to be the most likely. All right, who, who are you going to take? Tyler? So do I. So what? Do I get multiple wide receivers? You get two receivers. Okay, so then I'll. And take, you can sit on Sam Neuer, obviously, until right. the very end. Yeah, because I didn't know if we got two. I was like, man, there aren't really a whole lot of options for me at this point. So I'll take uh, Darian Rakestraw. Okay, what are your thoughts on him? Uh, he's a guy that I think that has a lot of a lot of potential, but um, kind of an interesting selection for us right now. A, a guy that attacks the ball. I think will be more of a possession receiver. Yeah, he's a, a super elite long jumper. I know that's one of the things that kind of intrigues Colorado. I will next go with Hunter Vaughn. This is a, a six foot eight kid that uh, is already known that he's going to gray shirt. 
young for his grade, time to, to develop, was kind of a late bloomer at the high school level. And uh, I think you're gonna, it's one of those recruits that you have to be very patient with, not only with the gray shirting, but, but just being 6'8". And it's going to take a long time for him to film in that frame, but um, I like him as my other offensive lineman here. Yeah, so I think we're kind of at the point where we just fill like fill in the blanks. Yeah, huh? we're all taking all taking up spots that we are. Okay. You know what I mean? So I think I guess I'll do Chance Lytle. Okay. Um, I think out of, out of the linemen, probably the most likely not to gray shirt, um, big body. And the um, best guitar player on the in the draft. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see about all that. I mean, I know that um, the staff really liked him when he came out to camp. It was kind of a light offensive line crew. Um, to me, I'm, he's not a guy I expect to play right away, but got to fill in my uh, O-line gaps over there. Well, he's an interesting recruit in this sense. He did absolutely nothing to promote himself throughout the recruiting process. You still cannot even find good film on him. He, uh, he told me he had some like power conference colleges call him, and he said, I'm not interested because he did not want to spend four years in Manhattan, Kansas, or wherever you know some of these schools were calling from. And so he had kind of zeroed in on Colorado. Rice was actually a school he was looking at, a very good academic school. Uh, University of Texas he was really interested in. And he camped at Texas three times and apparently did, re did so well that the Longhorns were recruiting him heavily for a long time. Now, they did, never did offer. So I don't know. He's just an interesting case. He's, most of the time, at the very little, these kids will put together a highlight reel. But yeah. Chance Lytle had no interest in really I mean, guarding you, that type of interest. Yeah, if you listen to any of his interviews or whatever, you heard him talk. I mean, you knew right away he's a strange kid to be playing football to begin with. Kind of a lighthearted kid, it seemed like, with yeah. interesting passions for a football player. But, uh, I mean, he's a huge body. And someone, if, if he takes to working hard and getting in great shape, will be a big, big man one day. And I'm going to get the steal of the draft here this late. Trey Udofia. Yeah, well, you can take him whenever you want. So. <laughs> I can't take him, apparently. You didn't allow me. But, uh, no, he's, uh, <laughs> when I was going through all the, the prospect film, I would say he probably exceeded my expectations more, like based off my kind of preconceived notions about kids. Mm -hmm. This is a, an elite type of playmaker. Yeah, I mean, I liked him a lot on film. I, I, he was a guy I was kind of surprised that didn't have more interest from other Pac-12 programs. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think he's a guy who's really going to help us down the line. I think him getting hurt uh, and not being 100% through a lot of his senior season might have been big for Colorado in the sense that, yeah, some of those Pac-12 schools didn't uh, try to poach him. I think I know for a fact Colorado was really worried about him getting poached, go, him going into a senior year. And kind of a, a crazy season there at Del Oro High School. They – look like one of the worst teams in their league early in the season, and then all of a sudden they go on this miraculous run, win their, the school's first ever state championship. So kind of a dream season uh, that, that Trey had there during his senior year. Who do you want to take? You've got a, you can either take Sam Neuer or one of the, the offensive linemen that are left. Colby Purcell and... Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I guess. Oh, no, yeah, that's that's who you yeah, got to take. Yeah, that's who I have to take. So, <laughs> so I'll just take Neuer. Yeah, as I was say, I already boxed myself into who I'm taking like two picks ago. So, I, yeah, Sam Neuer. Okay. Um, interesting note on him. He was not previously rated um, by rivals in, at, in the position rankings, but joined the, joined the rankings this time around at number 20. So the lowest ranked kid that they had in the position rankings. But moved him up slightly, obviously, to, to join the overall position rankings. We didn't get a chance to see him in person at a camp like we did Steve Montez the, the summer before, and, and that helped us kind of know what Colorado was maybe getting there. 
Um, of course, Sam Neuer threw for Lindgren in person quite a bit before they offered. It's tough to evaluate him on film when you watch the, the talent level he's going against there in Oregon. Mm-hmm. He's basically throwing to open receivers all the time. Yeah, and what's concerning, obviously, is that the fact that he played the one good team that they played twice, he did not have great numbers either time. So, I mean, those those are the concerns, but that, you know... That might just have to do with his talent around him. And as he, well. yeah, he so didn't we'll have a ton of talent around him either on his on on his own team. Right. He led Beaverton High to their best finish since two thousand and eight. So, uh, aside from those games against Jesuit, which was which does it makes a lot of teams look bad yeah. up there in that Oregon area. Maybe you can steal me some Nike gear. Well, <laughs> you know my sister works for for Nike oh, up there no, in Beaverton. I didn't so. know that. Well, see, there you go. See, now <laughs> I got two two ways to go get me some free gear. That was the underrated part of him being on my team. Free All Nike right. stuff. <laughs> All right. I uh, I kind of am in the same situation. Who's left here? That you got, I you got Patrick Taylor or KB and then I will go with you Patrick. Write him in Patrick Taylor Jr. and uh, now subscribers to Buff Stampede know that he's taking a trip out to Memphis this week. It sounds like this is uh, hey I got a I got a chance to go take a free vacation somewhere. Uh, let's go hang out on Beale Street for a couple of days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean we'll see what happens. I I would like to think that he would stick with us in that scenario, but. I guess it just depends on what we're telling him behind the scenes uh, about where he's playing and what those type of preferences are for him as well. He's a high two-star guy in terms of the the, the rankings, and uh, a big part of that is because he's only played running back in high school, mm-hmm. and he doesn't have that top-end speed to go, okay, this is a, a Power 5 running back prospect. But yeah. he went to one of the Buffalo satellite camps last summer. They put him at linebacker and turned heads, and... So I think coming in, they're going to give him an opportunity to be a big running back. But if it doesn't work out there, they clearly saw something that they liked on with him in terms of playing linebacker. He certainly got good size to be projected yeah, I mean, as an inside linebacker down yeah, the road. Yeah, he's a guy who, who you would assume will be very physical. So that's always good. So your uh, last offensive lineman is Colby Purcell from yeah. uh, Hart High School in California. What's up, Colby? Welcome to the squad. <laughs> I don't. Colby uh, had some interest from Army, uh, but really no Power Five schools were sniffing around there. He has not been told that he's definitely going to Gracier, but I would be absolutely shocked if he's not a guy that that Gracier. And they're not only given kind of that he's he's young for his grade, but also just the number situation with his class. Yeah, I thought it was interesting where the his high school had him listed to compared to where. He measured in at CU. I mean, obviously that shows how young he is. I mean, to be almost 30 pounds heavier and two inches taller, you know, shows that maybe he can mold into something as we go along if he can continue to grow. But, I mean, I think for now he's kind of an unknown commodity. I think the biggest beef that Colorado fans have with these offensive linemen coming in is not honing in on one of them. It's not that they shouldn't take Hunter Vaughn, that they shouldn't take Chance Lytle, that they shouldn't take Colby Purcell. It's that they're taking three guys that didn't have other power conference offers. Yeah, I mean, I think the concern is that we haven't gotten a single lineman with interest from other schools around the country that compete at the same level as we do to have any interest in us. I mean, that that is concerning. Lineman recruiting is a total crapshoot, it seems like, throughout the years. I mean, it just really, especially for guys who need to be that size, you never really know quite how they're going to develop because they're 17 and... 
you know, they look totally different from when they're 17 to when they're 22. I mean, the skill position guys, you know, because they're going to stay more or less the same size. You know, do they have the attributes you need to be a skill position guy? The linemen are tougher, but I, I do think you have to find a way to beat some schools for offensive line recruits. And the last pick of this semi-lame Colorado commitment draft is going to be Kavian Ento, who is already signed with the Buffaloes and is on campus, going to compete in spring ball. This is a receiver from East Central Community College in Mississippi. I don't, I don't want this to sound overly negative, but his film makes him look like a poor man's Bryce Bobo. <laughs> I mean, Bryce Bobo's legit. He needs more touches, but yeah, I'm, I, I would. That's friendly. I would say actually, <laughs> he didn't impress me all that much in his film. But you never know. I mean. These kids, sometimes these kids get on campus and they fit a lot better than you expect them to. So, Yeah, it's kind of uh, let the cream rise to the top there at receiver, especially mm -hmm. when, you, when you look at uh, Anthony Julmisi and Johnny Huntley coming in, Darian Reichstraw, and then, you know, we'll, we'll see what they do. Yeah, I mean, I mean right Ryan off Turner. the bat from the last class, I mean, I can think of most people didn't have a whole lot to say about Chris Brown's. And obviously he redshirted, so people didn't see much out of him. But out of all the freshmen last year, he was one of he he would be in the top half in terms. Chris of Chris Bounds, you're yeah, talking about? Okay. Yeah, last year. I mean, I was impressed with him in practice. So you never really know how some of these lower ranked kids that don't get a whole lot of buzz will come onto campus. I think he's a guy that will eventually help us, and maybe Ento will be the same way. Well, that leads me into our last football recruiting topic. I guess kind of transitioning into a football topic here, since these guys are already on campus. Which 2015 signees that didn't see action last season are going to contribute? And the guy that I heard the most positive praise about in terms of the guys redshirting last year during, you know, who, which guys were standing out on the scout team was Lyle Tuiloma, a nose tackle, came in from Hawaii. Um, really, no one really got to see this kid aside from Colorado and a handful of other schools that went out to this satellite camp in Hawaii. Lyle Tuiloma, rough upbringing. Kind of scraped together enough money just to go to this camp, and that's where Colorado sees him. Blue collar type of kid. I heard he was just an absolute beast on scout team. Yeah, I mean he's a big boy. I mean you saw we saw that in fall camp. You didn't see much about him, much other than that though. But yeah, I mean we definitely have heard some good things about him. Um, obviously, you also have to talk about Steven Montez. Yeah, uh, a guy that I think we all expect to start at some point at Colorado. Really talented. Really spins the ball. Throws it really hard. I mean, he's very explosive for a quarterback, really quick. Um, so to me, he's a, he's a big body. I mean, he's there's not much separation between him and Cepho in terms of size, which is impressive for a true freshman as well. I mean, he's a big boy. Cepho's oh, you got a little weight on him, but Montez could definitely put that on in the next couple of years. And then the other one that I remember people talking, or at least having high interest in, I don't know if he'll play right away as a lineman, but Tim Lynott is mm -hmm. a guy that I think people are hoping um, has a big impact at pretty quickly here at Colorado. You know a guy that, that's intriguing to me is is Donald Dino Gordon, mm -hmm. uh, a bigger running back. There's a chance they might not take a true running back prospect in this class. He's He maybe runs a little too upright sometimes, but I think he's a guy that could potentially develop in, in Yeah, I, mean, I think eventually he'll be big for us. But, I mean, the, the running backs, he's not passing anybody on the depth chart, I don't think, this year. I mean, there are still quite a few guys who are with some talent there. We talk about the cream needing to rise at receiver. Justin Jan is a guy that could potentially yeah, get the mix. I mean, he, he was definitely an intriguing in, in fall camp as well as a kind of Tyler McCulloch type role, um, maybe hybrid tight end slash um, space for him. Yeah, I mean, he, he impressed. I mean, 
for being one of the lower rated kids for most of last year. I think he got a bump towards the end up to a three star, but he was a two star a good portion of the recruiting cycle last year. All right, well, let's transition into some hoops talk here. Washington scores 95 points on the Buffs on Wednesday night. Colorado drops to 14 and 5. You know, this was a game that you. Even though Colorado was only like a one-point underdog going into this game, I, I thought Washington probably was going to win this basketball game, but it just was not an aesthetically pleasing game from a Colorado standpoint to watch this game. Twelve turnovers in the first half. You um, kind of kind of spoiled Dominique Collier having a career game and, and not being able to compete. Now they, they showed some fight in this game, but overall you just you, it, it was not a fun game to watch from the, from the Colorado standpoint. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was, it was tough because I think it's a blown opportunity. Uh, from a resume perspective, though, that does not hurt us much. Um, it's frustrating, yes, because they played poorly. So, But the end result is the same in the RPI. I mean, it's a road loss to a team that's leading the conference right now, um, has really turned it around from some early home losses. Um, they lost to Oakland and they lost to Santa Barbara earlier in the year. Uh, but they're playing really well right now, and they're fresh and are talented, man. I mean, yeah. I would, I can honestly admit right now that they're better than I gave them credit for. I mean, that's a talented team with a lot of athleticism that gave us a lot more problems than I really thought we were going to have. Um, the defensive effort for us, not acceptable. I think Tad will tell you that. The rebounding effort was one of the worst in a couple years I saw a tweet talking about um, that was the worst defensive rebounding margin in almost two years. Yeah, Adam Butler tweeted yeah, that right. it was That's their worst worst defensive rebounding game since February of 2013. It was the, just the third time this season that they've been out-rebounded overall. Yeah, and it, by not a gigantic team. So that's just an effort thing. I think Wesley Gordon, either that hand is bothering him, but he's been pretty silent the last couple games. We need him to wake back up. Um, and we just need some guys to hit some shots, man. I mean, Josh Fortune has been struggling. Mm -hmm. uh, that's an important piece for us um, right now as well, and... Um, Thomas Akizili had a tough game too. He was uh, due, probably was, due for one of yeah, those. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those are going to happen as a freshman, but yeah, I mean, he he definitely had a tough go, and, and we gave up too many easy looks for sure. But Washington also is not a good three point shooting team, and they shot the ball extremely well yesterday overall. So um, sometimes that's going to happen when you're on the road. I think Washington's really hot right now, um, and really the only goal on the road is to split. So. There's not a lot of panic for me right now, despite the fact that it was obviously not a good result. So Colorado now 3-3 three and three in conference play. We all had certain expectations going into the season, and then those got revised a little bit non-conference play. Mm -hmm. Do you feel better or worse about this team than you did going into conference play? Uh, I would say I feel the same. That's exactly what I was gonna say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, this is what I expected. Yeah, I mean, there, you know, there's we're a talented, we're more talented than I thought we were at the start of the year, but I think we're a team that's destined to be on the bubble. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. That's much better than what we expected out of this group. But you're gonna have some games where you look really good, like Oregon. You're gonna have some games where you don't, like last night. So um, people just need to keep in mind that winning conference road games are very difficult, very rare. Um, I saw a stat yesterday: the Pac-12 road teams are now 10 and 22. Um, in conference play so far this year, which is actually the best percentage in the last five years. Okay. So if that gives you an idea of how difficult it really is to win on the road, I mean, we already have a road winning conference at Stanford. Um, if you get the Washington State one, honestly, you could lose every road game the rest of the way, and it wouldn't be disastrous. Uh, you'd have two conference road wins. Um, all you would have to do is 
you you could lose a road game and you'd still be five hundred. I mean, a home game and you'd still be five hundred conference play at that point. So, um, you get Washington State all is secured, um, and you're really playing with house money on the road the rest of the year. So, to me, if we lose to Washington State, people can panic. But right now, it's not necessary. So that's a lot riding on one one road game, though. I mean, Washington State does they rank last in the conference. Right now they're nine and eight overall. This is a very beatable team, but again, it's it's a road game. Yeah, I mean it's not an easy one that we can guarantee by any means. But I mean, look, the Pac-12. There's no nights off, so I mean, you, we're going to lose to a team probably we shouldn't. We're probably going to beat a team that we shouldn't somewhere along the way as well. Um, that's just kind of how the Pac-12 has been so far this year. It's been one wild ride, uh, kind of a, a I guess magnified version of the entire college basketball yeah. landscape this yeah. year. It's crazy. Some of these, I mean. Michigan State losing at home to Nebraska yesterday. It's like that type of stuff doesn't normally happen in college basketball. I was looking at a stat um, just out of curiosity. Last year, the two seed or the one seeds in the NCAA tournament had nine total losses. This year, there's only one team already that doesn't have multiple losses in the year. Okay. South Carolina, who I think we're all pretty confident is not going to end up being a one seed. Yeah. So. To me, best case scenario is the one seeds are going to have eight losses, and all four of them got to go undefeated for the rest of the year. So to me, you're looking at one seeds that are probably closer to 14 or 15. Well, this is the year we're going to see like an eight seed and maybe a 10 seed in the final four. Yeah, absolutely, because all the teams are so bunched together. I really don't think there's going to be much of a difference between, let's say, a three seed resume and a nine seed resume. So I think there's going to be a lot of crazy stuff going on. Which should be fun. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, that's the best part. I mean, people, especially, it's it's funny for me because I track all this stuff, so you see where people stack up. But for the casual fan who's like, oh, man, 14 seeds, beating three seeds, this is nuts. You know, like, so it's it's cool to see everybody get excited about all the yeah. upsets. Colorado's kind of in the middle of the pack in terms of scoring offense and scoring defense. And we mentioned that just for the third time last night, they were out-rebound. So they've, by and large, done a great job on the boards this season. Turnovers have been a big issue for this yeah. team. Is that is that simply this team's makeup and just not having good ball handlers, or can this be a problem that can get corrected? Yeah, I mean, if that's how you determine what makeup is. I mean, the, the last couple of years we turned the ball over a lot because of our offense. It was a lot more iso ball, and that's going to create turnovers. This year I just think it's, yeah, I think it's more of a talent thing. Uh, we, we aren't quick enough at the guard position to get into the paint clean. So you're having guys touching on you, trying to get fouls, deflecting passes, I mean, this is going to be a crazy example, but Steph Curry, um, he gets into the lane free because he's so much quicker. He has more room to make a pass or mm-hmm. to finish or whatever. And Dom Collier, Thomas Akizili don't have that level of quickness. So there's a lot of deflections because they aren't separated from their defender as easily. So I think with this team, the issue is you have to be more patient um, and you have to be smart. you got to know where the guy's going to be offensively so that you can get him in a position to score. Um, we're going to turn the ball over a lot because of it, but I think if we slow the slow, you know, slow our heads down and get smart about where people need to be and where the ball needs to go, and there's a little bit too much freelancing stuff. going on out there. Yeah, I mean, there's the biggest thing with Josh Fortune for me right now is he's trying to do way too much. He was really good at the beginning of the year just shooting open jumpers. Now he's passing up a couple of those jumpers, trying to get into the lane, finish all these crazy stuff, you know, throw these crazy passes. No, this is the Pac-12. That that stuff doesn't work. So, I mean, if we, if we just take smart shots, do the things that we're supposed to do offensively, run the sets, you'll limit the turnovers, obviously. Uh, and they're huge because we're, we struggle in transition defense, too. I mean, once we let teams get out, we don't cover it very well. So, so you kind of hinted at this. You feel 
really good about the Buffs if they win on Saturday night, and you feel pretty darn bad about this team if they don't. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not great. It's it's not the end of the world. The only thing that concerns me really is that the the rest of the road games are difficult down the stretch. I mean, you're looking at USC, UCLA, Oregon, Oregon State, and Utah. Um, we're not going to be favored in any of those. So um, it, it's the best opportunity to get a road win. Um, the other component of it is if you win that game, the only possible bad loss on your resume is losing to Washington State at home, and that's not very likely. Yeah. So to me, if you can get that game, you can almost guarantee that your resume is going to be devoid of a bad loss, which is great for a tournament perspective because those things are important. Um, the worst possible loss you're going to have is probably going to end up Utah at home, which is crazy. So I think from that perspective, it's extremely important. Uh, but with the craziness of the Pac-12 and how weak the bubble is this year, losing is we're still going to be in the tournament in the projections if we lose on Saturday. Okay. So I think you do a lot of the research. You do a great job, really as good as anybody does from what I can tell in terms of uh, charting these bubble teams. Mm-hmm. I think Joel Lenardi has eight Pac-12 teams um, in right now? I, the last up that I saw, he had nine. <laughs> nine, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah which Obviously, is not, as these teams keep beating each right, other. Right, yeah. It's, every year, because of the Pac-12, like, teams have to lose. So a few of the teams will drop off, um, and then throughout the conference, you know, somebody else will get hot in another league, move their way up. We're not getting nine teams in. What right. would you guess at this early stage? Uh, well, I've, been saying, I've been saying five all along, but that's, okay. that's crazy now. That's, yeah. There's no way. There's there's too many wins out there that we're not going to get at least six. I'm leaning even maybe to seven now. Um, it, I haven't looked at the one the numbers from today, but I would say Oregon State would now be yeah it has to be Oregon State would now be the low the eleventh ranked RPI school in the conference, and they're probably sixtieth. Okay. So every team except Washington State is somewhere in, I mean, I, I, well, we'll keep talking and I'll look it up to confirm it, but I know UCLA was the lowest last week at 58, which is just insane. So, yeah, here we go. The 11th ranked Pac-12. Is Arizona State, right? Uh, no, Arizona State is, where is Arizona State? 48th, so they're not. Oh wow! Yeah, okay. they're not last. Um, so behind them is California at 61, and Oregon State is 11th, 64. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So the, the, that's in the RPI rankings. Every single team in the conference outside of Washington State is in the top 64, oh, which is insane. So that kind of highlights my part about there's no bad losses. You beat Washington State on the road, and you know numbers suggest you're going to beat them at home as well. There is not a possibility of you getting a bad loss. The rest of the way, unless someone in conference play, like let's say Oregon State, for example, because they've lost three in a row. If they just tank and you know lose a majority of their games, they might slide into the outside of the top 100. Seems unlikely, given they're pretty good at home, so they'll beat some teams there. But, yeah, I mean, it's crazy how – I mean, it's not top-heavy, but just from an RPI perspective, the Pac-12 is incredibly deep. Never seen anything like it. So what's the real realistic goal? Are you – I mean – Best case scenario, are you hoping one game above, you know, basically finish one game above 500 the rest of the way here with Colorado? Games? Yeah. Well, 10 and 8. So, yeah. Two I mean, games over, yeah. Yeah. Um, 10 and 8, I think, is between 9 and 9 and 10 and 8 is where most of the projections see us going. So, we have a, let's see, we have a 
46% chance to go either 9 and 9 or 10 and 8 in conference play right now. So numbers suggest that's more likely where we're going to end up. Um, it says we're beyond that, um, more likely to finish with below 500 than with 11 wins, according to the projections right now. But that would be hard pressing. Even, even if we did, if we were 8 and 10 in conference play, that's still an expected RPI of 62 which is you're not going to make the tournament probably with a below 500 record, but you'd still be on the bubble most of the way. So, you know, every game down the stretch we'll have a chance to make a play that puts us back on the right side. Um, but for me, I mean, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be tight. There are going to be a lot of teams at 9-9 and 10-8 and 8-10 and eight and and in league play. So, Is USC for real? Yeah, is oh, this, yeah. Is this going 100%. to continue on? Yeah, I think they might win the league. They're, they are very good. They got Jordan McLaughlin is a monster. Point guard, um, not only creating for himself, he's a great three-point shooter, but he's also a great passer. I really like him a lot. They've got other three-point shooters behind them. I love Julian Jacobs, one of the most underrated guys in the entire conference, do-it-all kind of guy. And their big men are legit, too. I mean, their freshman, uh, Shemezi Meadow, uh, one of the best shot blockers in the conference already as a true freshman. Um, and they, you know, they got scores all the way around. I mean, they're, they're good. I mean, I don't know if they'll win the league, but they're going to be in the top four 100%. And I think the team that you would probably expect to maybe trend downward now is is Cal with Tyrone Wallace out for yeah, six weeks. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough for them for sure. I mean, I get yeah with with the Wallace injury, they I suppose they might have a chance to um, slide into that outside of the top one hundred too potentially. Uh, that would be a stretch for me. I think they'll stay in there, but yeah, I mean he's huge for what they do. They don't. Have I mean, a, that's going to be the difference, I think, for some of these teams is if they can stay healthy. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, that's always that's always the case too. But you'd be hard pressed to find a bigger loss than Tyrone Wallace in the conference. They don't have a point guard without him. I mean, they're going to start Sam Singer now, probably, who is like the most average yeah. player. You know, what I mean, like he's a guy who's a solid backup, but he is. I mean, Tyrone Wallace is a first round pick, probably. Um, player of the year candidate. Sam Singer is not replacing that. There's no chance. And it's tough because Ivan Rabb is not creating his own shots. Jalen Brown, not really creating his own shots. Like, they rely... Jordan Matthews either is not really a ball hand, really. I mean, he shoots open threes. So, who's going to get him the ball now? Cal's in a tough spot, especially for a team that already struggled to win their own games, as it is. It's January 21st, and we've almost stopped talking about it because we're kind of sick of it, but the Xavier Johnson situation. Yeah. The fact that he has not come out yet yeah, I mean, and I said, look, <laughs> this is this, this obviously uh, the best situation for him is to redshirt and come back next year. Mm -hmm. and he's just being stubborn. Yeah, I would agree 100%. I mean, I think the longer that we go without saying anything is the more likely he's going to come back. doesn't matter how many games there are left. What um, if you're Tad Boyle in, in – do you do you even want him back? I mean, no, you, but it's not his choice. I mean, he's not gonna if Xavier doesn't if he's not coming back next year, he's not gonna sit him. Okay, that's not gonna happen. So, I mean, he'll come back. I mean, I don't see why you wouldn't want him back if he's healthy. I mean, he's a talented player, and you know, some of these games where we struggle, wouldn't it be nice to have Xavier Johnson who maybe makes a couple impact plays for you, hits a couple big threes? And there's always room for more depth. Um, I, he's not going to play a crazy amount of minutes, but if he's done and that's what he wants to do, I mean, Tad will let him do it, I think, for sure. But if if they were redshirting him, I think it would have been announced already. You would think, but uh, I don't know. Part of me thinks it's just been Tad Boyle waiting for the for the realization to really sink in with Xavier Johnson. Yeah, I mean, that could I think be he expected it would have happened long before now. Yeah. No, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm surprised by how 
dragged out, drug out the situation. Drawn out. Drawn out. Yeah, that works too. <laughs> uh, the situation is. Um, but to be honest, I mean, from the from the beginning when it happened, I that was like he's not. There's no way he's coming back. So for me, that was the always the expectation was that he would be redshirting and be back next year. But it doesn't sound like necessarily that's what's going to happen. E- either way, I mean, it's his choice, and it, I don't think it crushes us one way or another. I mean, right now, you, you if he if he is back next year, that front court that three to four log jam, you add Derek White, it's just like how do you play these guys? There's just too many. There's too many people, so I think either either way it works out for us. We have another scholarship available too if we choose to use it. Um, it it's not as uh, desperate as a situation. I, I was really stressed about Spencer coming back when when that happened. I think Xavier Johnson. This is more of a. It, it's good for no matter what he decides to do. I think it's good. I mean, if he wants to come back and help us, that's great. If he wants to come back next year, that's great too. Uh, but if not, uh, we have guys to play that position next year for me. Um, we'll just the team makeup will look a little bit different, and you, the emphasis on getting a bigger recruit to come in is a little bit heightened. But beyond that, I, I, I'm not really that worried about what he decides to do. It's up to him. I'm already looking ahead and forward to the second week of March. In the past, Ryan Konigsberg uh, was on our staff and would always go out to Vegas to cover the Pac-12 yeah. tournament. And of course, he's now on BSN Denver doing great stuff there. And so I'm making the trek out there this year. You're so gonna I'm go. Gonna, I'm, I'm gonna oh, go. Sweet. I'm gonna join you guys out there. Nice. It's gonna be a weird experience. I've never gone to Vegas and had to work before. So um, obviously, yeah, there I mean, there will be many time many times when I'm not gonna be working. But. Yeah, Ryan will tell you that it's it is definitely an interesting dynamic because he stayed with me last year, um, so we spent a lot of time together. And um, yeah, I mean, him, us going back to, like, get ready to go out, and he has to stay at the arena and go party and meet us out for dinner. I mean, to go work yeah. um, while we're partying. Um, it's a little bit of a weird dynamic. He has to meet it's us out be later, a- but he he handled it well. I mean, it's, it, you know, it all depends on what you're trying to do. It's a long trip, though. So, I mean, there's time for both. Yeah. And I'm an old man now, so <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't do Vegas the way I did back go. in my yeah, 20s. Well, <laughs> speaking of Ryan, it's his birthday while we're out there, so that should oh, be Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. You're gonna you're gonna spend a whole week out there, right? Yeah, cause uh, the bar and restaurant expo is the three days before. Okay. So I, yeah, I'm there from Sunday to Sunday, so it's gonna be long, long trip for me. But uh, I am missing St. Patrick's Day at Blake Street, so okay, I don't have to deal with that nonsense. <laughs> so that's fun. Well, I'm glad that they're talking about moving spring football practices back because yeah. initially the spring game was actually gonna be that Sunday. Uh huh. Right. Yeah. This, yeah. St. Patrick's Day. Yep, and the end of the, like people coming home from the tournament. So you're talking like the diehards that go to all these, you know, CU events, not being able to go to the spring game. Like the people that want to go for the most part yeah. couldn't do it last year. We, we, I think I got back and went straight from the airport and caught the second half or something. Is how it worked out last year, I think. Well, yeah, yeah, initially McIntyre was talking about how they would jump right into spring ball right after signing mm-hmm. day. But I talked to Darren Shiverini and he's like, look. We gotta figure out what offense we're gonna put in and have everything streamlined for spring ball, and I think that's gonna take more more than a week. Obviously, you're probably gonna. I would think that they maybe should go back to the old model of kind of splitting it up in between spring break. Yeah, um, that was gonna be my question: was do we know how long they're pushing it back yet? They have or? not announced that yet. Okay, and and you know the, another thing too is the later spring football ends, the longer their wait there is between. The end of that in camp, it seemed like last year forever. It just kept taking on forever for for the off season to end. Uh, so hopefully they push it back as, as far as they can. 
Well, Tyler, thanks for uh, for joining me on this show, and uh, I think we'll try to do another show, maybe another recruiting show around signing day. Um, next year, the class of 2017, the good thing about it is going to be a huge class. There's going to be yeah. a lot of activity, and they're not going to have to. The one thing I would like to see them do is be very frugal and not take too many reaches early on in the recruiting cycle because we see it. We've seen it every year. All of a sudden, there's all these quality recruits that they weren't in the mix for early in the process that are coming to visit. Yeah. you got to keep room for some of these guys. Yeah, and they can't. Them. I think the, the biggest issue is they can't attack them as much as they like to. Because they can't take all the guys. So there yeah. has to be like some, you know, you have to be careful with how you recruit them. If you have more spots, you can attack those guys with all the vigor you've got. I think when we're tight on spots, it makes it a little more tough. Um, it, I do think it'll be nice if the facilities are actually done. Because even though, it, you know, they're gorgeous already. But kids just have a tough time picturing the finished product. And when mm -hmm. people are in there using the space, it'll be a little bit different, I think, in terms of that. So that'll be nice. Yeah, this was the 2016 was the first class that I think the facilities made a, a substantial mm. uh, impression on kids like Johnny Huntley, Anthony, Joel Misi, Ronnie Blackman. I don't know if they're coming to Colorado if it weren't for you know yeah. facilities weren't the only reason. Obviously, they picked Colorado it was a big part of kind of the university showing the commitment to the football program yeah. and all that. And so 2017, you have the whole cycle uh, to really kind of showcase those facilities should be big. BuffStampP.com is definitely the place to get all your recruiting information as we lead up to signing day. I uh, hope you enjoy this show. Thanks for tuning in.